You are listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, a Canadian guide to building dependable wealth. Join your hosts, Richard Canfield and Jason Lowe, as they unlock the secrets to creating financial peace of mind in an uncertain world. Discover the strategies and mindsets to a financial future that you can bank on. All right, welcome to another episode of Wealth Without Bay Street. We're joined today by special guest Ryan Griggs, and of course, my amazing co-host and uh, partner, partner in IBC, the Aww. Richard Canfield. Oh, I get a, I get a the. <laughs> I've moved from the to the. How was that? How was that for for an intro, Ryan? Uh, good. Welcome. It's so good to be with you. Uh, thank you for joining us and our listeners here today. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now I'm going to I'm going to throw um, a curveball and just get the conversation started. Buy term and invest the difference. Go. <laughs> My gosh. Uh, talk about the conventional life insurance perspective, right? Uh, <laughs> let me get as let me get as much death benefit for as little premium as possible. You know, one of Nelson's rules. You know, don't be affraid to capitalize. Don't be afraid to pay a premium. And uh, my gosh, you know, life insurance is so great. Just don't buy too much of it. Right? <laughs> come on uh well you know what's interesting on? too is that when you when you look at uh when you look at a term life insurance policy which does serve a purpose but you can't solve a permanent problem with temporary coverage as hey. uh one of our late mentors bob shields used to say but you know what's interesting is that if you look out the life of of a policy it, as it becomes more and more cost prohibitive you really don't have much of the invest the difference money available Right. But I, I thought but it was. Over, I thought it was spend the difference. Isn't that what normally well, happens? Yeah, for most people. Yeah. Or lock it up behind a tax qualified plan so you can't touch it until you're 59 and a half or older, uh, which is really what normally happens. And it, it jumps clean over what I talk about a lot, which is the what the problem that the actual problem that most people are really facing, which is the need to build and deploy capital throughout their lifetime. Their need for finance, as Nelson used to say, that you know your need for finance is much greater. Than your need for death benefit. Uh, so Absolutely. The, the, buy, the buy term and invest the difference thing is jumping over the need to take control and manage and own the banking function. Right. right. So it's just an indication when you hear that, uh, when I hear it, when I hear it from the financial entertainers on the blogs or on television, you know, the big names that all that uh, mutual fund money is going to support and pay their advertising for, uh, you know, it's, it becomes clear to me. And if it's a, if it's a potential client or even if it's an agent, that I'm talking to or training, if they bring that up and it's not just like in this form of conversation, if they bring it up genuinely as a potential objection to IBC, it's an indication to me that they're still in the conventional financial framework and that's okay. But like Nelson used to say, IBC is more caught than it is taught. And that's someone who raises that objection just hasn't caught the concept yet. That's, that's okay. But that's where that person is in their process. Right. Yeah. And the, and it, uh, the learning process and the time it takes for everyone is different because we're coming at it from different vantage points, different angles, different financial conditions and different you know levels of financial programming that we've received throughout various stages of our life from our, our parents, our teachers, our academic world, our business life, whatever it is. And so um, I really love the way that you put that. It's a process of learning and it's, and it's more caught than taught. I, I, I'm pretty sure I said that yesterday on a call with a client because that's one of my favorite uh, Nelsonisms. Yeah. Well, he, he, used, he used to say uh, often to meet people where they're at mm. and that y- you can communicate the knowledge of the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept, 
but he he would share that the process is ridiculously simple. It, it doesn't need to be sensationalized. And that's one of the things that I think our listeners uh, really need to know about Ryan is that, uh, first of all, uh, he's, uh, I, I think, nothing short of brilliant in his approach and how he, you know, f- talks about the process and the concept uh, fr- from the occasions that we've heard him speak. And uh, quick plug, Ryan, uh, a fantastic podcast, Banking with Life, uh, yourself and uh, your mentor, James Nethery. We just want to uh, give a shout out to the both of you. And for our listeners who are tuning in, uh, you would be well advised to subscribe to that podcast and um, to tune in uh, to each one of their episodes. They're just, they deliver massive value and uh, they're, they're practical. Well, thank you. Jason. Both Jason really and I subscribe that. to that podcast. We, we love it. We think it's fantastic. And, and I would, you know, uh, among both you and, and James uh, and some of our other colleagues, I would say that you've been part of the inspiration for us to really kick this off. Definitely. A little bit of a Canadian perspective and, and to just help uh, grow some of that um, content, hopefully that will help in, enhance the movement and add value to uh, all the listeners and, and our existing clients and that sort of thing. Yeah. Can't forget about the Canadians, man. Don't well, thank up. you. And, <laughs> well, and, and you have to come, you have to come visit us at some point. And actually, you know what? I'm in the United States right Bring now. I'm coming coat. at you live, live from Palm Springs. I, I'm here for a speaking engagement that I'm doing on Sunday. And so, um, I, you know, just, you're an, you're an hour east of where I'm from. No kidding. Really? Yeah. I'm from oh. Redlands, California. So okay. you get on the 10 freeway, keep heading West, head for the ocean. You'll run through my town. Oh, got it. Wow. Yeah. But I do, right. need to come, I do need to come to Canada. I appreciate both of your guys' comments. That's really sweet. Uh, it means a lot coming from you too. Uh, I appreciate the recognition. I'll tell James. Uh, I, know he's, I know he would be appreciative as well. And yeah, on the podcast, I mean, you know, we, I've, got, I've had people, because we have a certain philosophy on marketing. And you know, I've had people characterize what we're doing as a, you know, a marketing thing or this kind of deal. And it's really not. Um, you know, we believe in the attraction style of marketing. And so our, you know, that podcast came out of the conversations that James and I would have anyway, that we still have. Right. And so we, before that podcast was a book review on this book right here, uh, uh, Becoming Your Own Banker. So James and I did like four and a half hours. And in between the takes, we said, you know, my gosh, this conversation's fun. You know, maybe someone would like to listen. And so we really do. That's all we do is we turn on the cameras and continue to have the same conversations we would anyway. And that's why maybe we get a little controversial sometimes. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, a, I, I'm aware of that, uh, but that's okay. And, but I'm, I'm glad that it speaks to y'all and that you, uh, you've gained some value. And I know that we have other agents too that yeah. also listen. Right. And yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate to have spent the three years that I had with Nelson. I'm fortunate to have James in my life. I'm fortunate that, uh, I've been able to learn so much. And I came from the Austrian background, the Austrian economics background. Could you maybe expand a little bit on that, Ryan, for our listeners and just share sure. a little bit about you that? You have a, a master's degree and you're a PhD uh, student in Austrian economics. And I think you were on the, the professor track. That was kind of the, the vision and the direction you were heading down, right? Yeah. So a little background in general. I do have a bachelor's and a master's in economics, conventional mainstream economics, uh, ultimately from California State University, East Bay and Northern California and Hayward. I went to a number of different undergraduate schools, but that's where I ended up. Uh, That's where I finally got the degree. Uh, I was, Richard, you're right. I was on the track to become a professor of economics. I was enrolled at uh, Texas Tech University in Lubbock in West Texas, 
I'm currently in Fort Worth, about five hours east, but I was in Lubbock. I was at Texas Tech. There's an organization there called the Free Market Institute. It's sort of a university-affiliated organization, uh, so they're formally a part of the university, and they provide money to graduate students to uh, get their PhD. So I was literally paid to go to school. And the conventional mentality uh, out there among potential and current economics graduate students is that you'd be crazy to go to a PhD program unless you get paid, right? And so I was, I, I was going down, I'd only applied to the one school, not supposed to do that. Uh, you know, went to the one that accepted me. I applied after the deadline, <laughs> uh, still was accepted, still got funding. So, you know, things were look, the point is that things were looking good uh, and things were going well uh, on paper. But I looked around and, you know, at the time Bob was there, so don't get uh, Bob Murphy, that is, co-founder of the Nelson Nash Institute, very prominent Austrian economist. He, at the time, was a uh, faculty there as well. And so these comments don't pertain to him, <laughs> but I did, I, you know, I, I looked around at the, uh, some of the other professors and noticed their lifestyle, uh, noticed, I just noticed, I saw how the sausage was made, let's put it that way. And, <laughs> um, and wasn't, wasn't wild about it, you know, yeah. uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. And right. I was like, if this is what it means to become a professor in the conventional mainstream format in the U S then no, thank you. So, so share, share with listeners your, your, um, your description of Austrian economics and how the process of becoming your own banker, it, it really is the, the solution to, to the problem. And if you were to bring that down to, you know, the, the Richard and I level, <laughs> uh, could, would you mind just clarifying that for our listeners who, are, who maybe this is the first time that they've heard that term? Like, what, what is Austrian economics and how does that relate to the process of becoming your own banker? My gosh, how much time you got? <laughs> uh, it's like, the, it's like the, you know, at the networking things, they say, what's your elevator pitch? You know, explain IBC in 30 seconds. It's like, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh, well, okay, so if I were to explain, you know, there's various schools of economic thought. Uh, the Austrian school is one of them. We call it the Austrian school because the founders of this intellectual tradition were from Austria. Okay. Um, the, the headquarters now of the intellectual movement called the Austrian school is now in a place called Auburn, Alabama. It's at the Mises, M-I-S-E-S -S Institute, Mises.org. Uh, I've actually interned there, very friendly with the people there. Uh, in fact, um, well, I won't give away any future news. I don't know if it's public knowledge yet, but I, uh, I know that one of the, the president at that organization, Jeff Deist, has been involved with Nelson Nash Institute events before. He came, for instance, to uh, the uh, premiere of This is Nelson Nash, the biography that aired uh, in the 20, at the 2019 think tank. Anyway. I got a, great, got a great photo with Jeff when I was there with Jeff and Nelson. It was a, that was a really awesome moment. Nelson was extremely happy and excited to see Jeff there. That was, I think that was a bit of a highlight for him amongst some of the other interesting people that came out of the woodwork uh, to watch the film, which at the premiere, that was fantastic. Yeah. And Lou Rockwell himself, founder, chairman <clears throat> of the Mises Institute, also there and advanced in age, but still made the trip. I was, Lou's a wonderful man, Jeff's a wonderful man. Anyway, great people at the Mises Institute, no question. But as far as the Austrian school is concerned, all right, so there's various schools of thought. The Austrian school is one of them. Intellectual headquarters is in Auburn, Alabama. Um, we're distinguished, this school of thought is distinguished from the other schools of economic thought by a number of things. But one of the things is our emphasis on uh, the individual, on human action, on, on the things that the individual does. And that 
there's a lot of dots to connect to get to all these various conclusions, but one of the implications of that emphasis, one of the implications of the focus on the individual is, is, the, is in the method of our study, the method of our analysis. It's literary. We don't, do, we don't try to shove human action into mathematical equations, let's put it mm -hmm. that way. Okay. Uh, and, and so that, but that emphasis on the individual, in my view, uh, links very nicely with the infinite banking concept with becoming your own banker. Right. Okay. So uh, for more on really for more, I gave a talk at the 2019 Nelson Nash Institute think tank, the last one that Nelson attended before he passed, sadly, but I was so uh, I get emotional talking about it, but I'm glad he was there. And the point of that talk was to explain more in depth why it is that I believe Nelson Nash and becoming your own banker as a consequence. But Nelson Nash is an heir, an intellectual heir. He has a linkage with the founders of this Austrian tradition, right? So to put it in a nutshell, what I would say is that becoming your own banker is how one practices and implements the Austrian view of economics in their own life, mm. right? Um, James has a more succinct way to put it, uh, something to the effect of, you know, learn to practice Austrian economics in your own life and become your own banker, right? That's, that's what it is. That's what, it, and so as a coming from that intellectual, that that professor track, that background, uh, to see that the ideas that I came to love and understand could be implemented on an individual level, without having to ask permission, without having to pass a law, without having to end the Fed, without having to do any of these other top-down types of solutions to the, all of society's ills, what I could do instead. And myself, and I did do it myself, I practice what I preach, you could just opt out. No, thank you. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I don't want to be a part of the entire apparatus that finances and funds the, the state or that contributes on economic grounds. We don't have to get political, but on economic grounds, the, I could opt out of the institution and the apparatus that contributes to inflation, right? The, the expansion of the money supply, which that's a whole nother, you could spend a whole nother podcast episode on that. But well, it, one of the things, Ryan, that I wanted to, to share with you, just to add to what you've uh, already described, is that we, when we connect with the general public or we connect with advisors who are wanting to discover how to share this message with their own client communities, the conversation leans rather quickly on product. It's all about the life insurance contract and the anatomy of that contract and which the company rate of return, and <laughs> the rate of return and all that other stuff. And I've really, for the, for the past, gosh, just over a year now, I have really been consciously focusing and re-aiming people back at, at the problem and the process. And so how would you describe the problem to, to our listeners? Uh, the way I would describe it is that and I think I may have said this in the talk, but I certainly say it on the podcast all the time, is that the financial problem facing the, in my country we say the, facing the average American, but facing the average Canadian, right? the problem in the Western world today is that the individual has abdicated their responsibility and not because they went out and tried. I mean, but it, that's the world we live in, right? James would say that's the construct we live in. The individual does not own and control what Nelson called the banking function. And what I would say is the function of owning and then deploying capital. We don't, we don't control that. Right. We are dependent 
upon the, uh, the financial apparatus. We're dependent upon the, the commercial banks, the third-party lender, the mortgage lender, the auto lender, you name it. We're dependent on them for our capital. And like James says, there's never a problem until there's a problem, right? We could be, we could be going along and nothing, uh, the bank hasn't come from my house. They haven't come from my, you know, my car's not been repossessed, right? What, what's the problem? Well, there's never a problem until there's a problem. But you know, when those financial crises, and this is just one element, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a number of reasons to become your own banker, but one particular uh, incident, one particular uh, motivating event is, you know, when we have those financial crises that come around every now and then, and uh, financial institutions change hands, and suddenly all those notes get called due, uh, you know, those, the, 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 maybe it's not a car repossession, but maybe that your house gets foreclosed. You know, that was a big event in 08 here. Um, well, all of that is a function, is a consequence of the fact that the individual does not own and control the banking function. The individual does not own and control the capital on which he depends, right? That is the problem. And so there are negative consequences, right? Potential loss of assets, uh, all of the various costs involved with uh, achieving access to conventional credit. There are those problems, there's a laundry list of those problems. And that's really the negative side. But on the positive side, there's a whole world of things that we don't ever have the opportunity to experience because we lack control of the capital. And this is really what sticks out to me and what I think is underemphasized in our little IBC community is the unseen, you know, the house that gets taken, the car that's get, that gets taken, the, uh, the, the costs we have to pay, the interest rates, the applications we have to fill out, you know, the hostile bill collections people, all that seen. We see that, right. we deal with it, right. right? But there's a whole world of the unseen that when we miss it, when we don't get it, we don't know right. because we, we don't see it. Okay, so the business you could have started, the house across the street you could have bought. Uh, at, the, at a discount all, price. Uh, for cash, right? The yeah. world of opportunity that one misses out on because they don't lack, or because they do lack control and access to capital. Nelson has said in many places, if you have uh, access to and control over a large pool of financial value, opportunities will track you down. Yeah, and, you become an opportunity magnet. And, yeah. and they become of higher caliber the more that that transpires. Yeah. You know, we, we just covered that on a, re a recent uh, podcast. I think it's coming out it's probably sometime in February. I don't know when this will air, but anyway, it comes out February 2020. And, uh, you know, what I told the story that I was at a chamber of commerce type of deal and uh, a little investment person there was giving me a hard time. You know, all oh, you life insurance people, you know, what if, what if a client wants to invest? And that, that objection, I, I knew it bothered me in the way that I knew that what we do is good, but I didn't have in that moment a precise response to it. And so I began to think about it a lot more. And that, that statement that I brought up that, that Nelson said that opportunities will track you down. And in person, he would say that if you have control over capital, opportunities will hunt you down. That really was the kernel that led to, a, for me, a deeper understanding of the relationship between capital and not just investment opportunity, right? But entrepreneurial opportunity. In fact, I think that investing is a category of, a type of entrepreneurship, right? You're, Absolutely. Making, an entre you're making an entrepreneurial judgment when you invest in something. And, okay, and, well, and Nelson said that the process has nothing to do with addressing the yield of an investment. <laughs> it, it, has, it has everything to do with how you go about financing the things in your life, which can certainly include investment. Right. 
And, and on one of your blogs, you, you really identify that, uh, Ryan, you said that, I love this quote, if the focus is on rate of return, then you've missed the point of IBC. People need to exit the investment paradigm. I just thought that was such a beautiful summary. Oh, yeah, that is really good. Well, thank you. And that, that really is just like, you, you know, the buy term and invest the difference thing. And, and there are other types of objections that people make, you know, before I kind of went down this more, I guess, intellectual path, I don't know, before I developed this understanding, um, those objections would frustrate me. And now that I, I, I don't know, I've come around and I've in the third year of this, but now that I see things the way I see them, those objections are more often a indication to me that, okay, there's just more learning to do, you know? Yeah. By gosh, it's only 92 pages, you know, spend the evening. Um, and that's really what it, and the, and the people, what I've come to love and enjoy are the people who call me, who say, I've listened to all your podcasts, uh, read a lot of your blogs. I read the book twice. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Or, or I've got these two questions for, to clarify and I'm ready. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then I had a call yesterday, one of my earliest clients who's, you know, been with me the whole time. We just had a call for an hour about various financial questions he had, things he was planning on doing, a future-oriented, long-term oriented conversation. And it was so beautiful. <laughs> it, was, it was so pleasant. And that's the kind of interaction that I think can come out of uh, this type of understanding. Yeah. Right? With other yeah. agents, with, our, with clients. Um, and you said something earlier, Jason, I wrote it down. You said, you know, it, IBC doesn't need to be sensationalized. And my gosh, there's plenty of that out there. <laughs> you know, uh, Und I think, undoubtedly. I think James would call it part of the noise. And I don't want to, you know, Nelson used to say, focus on the light, be the light. I don't want to focus yeah. on negative things. But for the viewer out there, for the person investigating IBC, my recommendation is there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of sensationalizing, trying to make the concept look better than it is, which isn't necessary, right? The thing to do is just to go to the source. Yeah. Go to, go to now, that book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Yeah. Black cover, hard copy, fifth edition, all you need. And don't and just read I, it once. Keep right. going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the middle of a, I don't know, whatever reading it is. I'm in the middle of another one before heading, here we are recording in mid-January and we've got the annual 2020 Nelson Nash Institute think tank coming up. And so, yeah, I'm in the middle of my, I don't know, 25th or whatever reading it is. Uh, Heading into heading into that event, so yeah, read it once and then start over. <laughs> I say, don't knock repetition. You know, keep at it. <laughs> yeah, we always uh, say when we speak at live events, we share with people that repetition is your best teacher. And Ooh, I love it because each time that you and, and again, you know, we we quote Nelson constantly because mm -hmm. he uh, he was the domino, and he would always say that the more that you see this process, the more that you see, you didn't see. Mm, and yep. that uh, is, is just so true. Uh, I'll tell you, it, every time Richard and I have a conversation or if we're, and we will do this on our way to Birmingham for the think tank uh, conference, we literally on the airplane are walking up and down the aisle back and forth to each other going, did you, did you see that on page 56? Like, and then, you know, it's, it's highlighted and then we get in, it's just, uh, you get inspired. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I really wanted to, to get your perspective and insight on is when Nelson described 
his own uh, system of policies within the family, mm. he said that they achieved a point where there was no outside loans from any outside lender. Mm-hmm. And we hear so much dialogue within our own uh, institute and community. We hear so much dialogue about policy loans and, and the simple interest associated with loans and when you should take a loan, when you shouldn't take a loan and people establishing parameters around that and, and trying to justify it with mathematics. And, you know, I, I share with Richard, I mean, we understand that if you can access capital from a commercial bank at 3% and you're paying 7% simple interest to a life insurance company, a, a grade three student of math can tell us that the, the interest rate is, is lower. But I, I do want to get your perspective because I'll, I'll just preempt you with this. So Nelson, one day we were having the same conversation and he said, uh, he said, Jason, listen, when you borrow capital from a commercial bank and you repay that capital, regardless of the rate, who is that commercial lender putting that money to work for? Mm -hmm. The The response obviously is the stockholders of the bank. He said, now, when you access capital from the life insurance company that you are a part owner of, regardless of the rate, if you're an honest banker and you are repaying your policy loans, and Nelson had that beautiful pregnant pause, he, he, would, he would ask, now, may I ask, who are they putting the money to work for? Mm. And the response was, of course, the participating policy owners. Mm-hmm. And he would say, I rest my case. What more, what more is there to discuss? But what is yeah. your perspective, Ryan, on access? So it, building capital is one thing inside of an entity that you own, you control, and it's not subject to stock market manipulation or government intervention or any bad economic cycles, can't wash mm-hmm. any of that money away. But what about access to capital? What is your perspective on policy loans? So I think this, it's a good question. Um, there are two types of uh, perspectives that people come from when they ask that either they're hung up on it and it's an indication that they're still in the conventional financial framework or they just generally you know admit that I have current clients who ask that question you know so do we let's, and let's suppose you know the auto lender is going to give you a genuine loan at two percent and the insurance company is going to charge you five or in your example seven okay listen you're the banker bankers get to do what they want Bankers, conventional bankers borrow from other bankers all the time, right? In September, fourth quarter of 2019, there was the, the, the repo or repocalypse, right? The, the, the spike in interest rates in the repurchase market, right? That's a market where banks are lending to each other, right? Listen, bankers borrow from other bankers all the time. Right. And you know, e- even overnight. Even overnight. Yeah, it's, it's the, it makes up a substantial proportion of the volume of their lending. Well, gosh, right. if they're doing it, hmm, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing for you to do it too. It, if, if it is the case, and I, and I preface this all the time by saying policy loan repayment is the most efficient loan repayment in the entire world of credit, right? The right. repayments go first to principal. Uh, you know, we can quibble about the numbers and you're right to call it simple interest. But at the end of the day, it, it's the, it's the most, because the underlying collateral is guaranteed by the lender, 
It's by the lender itself. By the lender itself, which exists yeah. nowhere else in the world, in the world yeah. of credit, it, it, it must be, it follows logically that that repayment is going to be hyper-efficient. And it is, but okay, let, you know, stack the deck against ourselves. I don't mind that. Let's suppose that there's a legitimate conventional loan at a legitimate lower rate. You know, they haven't inflated the purchase price of the asset in order to shift the interest cost from the interest column to the uh, MSRP. We'll yeah. suppose that didn't happen, right? A lot of assumptions here, but we'll suppose that even that's the case. Okay, go get the money. Yeah. Listen, if I would rather have the capital at my, under my ownership and at my control in order to pay off anybody whose money I might've used, right? Suppose, you know, maybe I do take the conventional money. Suppose uh, the, an unlikely event happens. The, the financing company is bought out. They call the note due. If I have control over a large pool of financial value, that's no problem. If that happens to somebody who doesn't have control over a large pool of financial value, if they haven't implemented IBC, that could be, uh, that, that could be life-changing. And it is. It, it is for it, many it is. people. Yeah, yeah. And, if, and, and if you have that large pool of financial value, every additional dollar that's added to that pool increases your own margin of safety. Right. It becomes essentially a problem for business owners too with like their operating lines of credit because they're, you know, that those can be called due and they're, they're wholly dependent on, they live and die by cash flow. And so if they don't have that financial stockpile set aside in a, in a liquid pool, you know, their business could shift, the market could change with rel- relevance to their products or their consumers or their ability to get their product or whatever it, it is to the market. Business. Kill, kills the business instantly. It kill the yeah. business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. James says that regardless of what you're doing, IBC, or no, he puts it this way, IBC is just putting jet engines on whatever it is you're already doing. Oh, and at, the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, anybody I talk to, regardless of their relationships with third-party lenders, regardless of their comfort level with third-party lenders or whatever it is, I know at the end of the day that if they became their own banker, their situation would improve. They're, you know, it, it's almost a, uh, it's like a, it's really irrefutable. It, you know, I tell people, can you have too much capital? <laughs> no? Okay. Well, I can't have too much capital either. You know, and, or maybe someone, you know, yeah, you know, 50,000 is enough for me. It's like, okay, well, I I can't help you there. Right. (laughs) Right. But if you think about it and you're willing to be teachable and listen, then, you know, you can't have too much capital. I can't have too much capital. I can't pay enough premium. You can't pay enough premium. The problem is we don't make enough money and that'll never change. We're always going to be playing, paying from behind, playing from behind. Right. Right. So we can start catching up now. And, you know, I like to say greater than zero, that's progress. So, you know, we're behind. Our parents should have done it. Their parents, their whole life insurance been around a long time, right? Yeah. Our generations ago should have started this. They didn't. We have an opportunity to be that change in the family. And, you know, some people, I don't, I say this because, you know, n- nothing's impossible, but, you know, maybe it is the case that for whatever reason, someone doesn't want to become their own banker. It's like, okay. You know, I'm not here to convince anybody. You know, I, I've really learned that, that, and I did competitive, uh, not speech, but it was called mock trial in high school and college and was good at it and all that. But, you know, I've had my debate days. Right. That's over. And I'm not here to convince anybody or persuade anybody of anything. Right. Now, at the end of the day, I know uh, the, the value of the concept. And I know that if someone had 
ownership and control over the capital in their lifetime that not only would they be able to more cost effectively finance the things that they were already going to do, but there's going to be a whole world of opportunity opened up to them that they've never even considered. And I'm the economist. I'm coming at it from the intellectual tradition of having studied this and I didn't see it. You know, Bob Murphy, my current dissertation advisor, co-founder of the Institute, he didn't see it. You know, none of us did. There, always, there was all a time where, you know, the light bulb clicked or, you know, we caught it and we saw what could be done, what could be possible. You, you can't tell anybody flipping through part four, equipment financing in that book and looking at the cumulative net outlay column, one illustration to the next. And you can't, you can't tell me that's not good. Right. You know, that's not, it's just not, you know. And so either there's the, the, either the person's been, the individual raising that sort of objection or who's, who's wondering about that you know, who, who's stuck in that, that part, what, what they need to do or what they should be encouraged to do is back up, go back to the book. Uh, you know, IBC is not so much about going down a rabbit hole as it is about, as it is moving laterally, shifting your paradigm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, the problems, the, the objections you raise themselves will change once the paradigm has been shifted. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Without Bay Street podcast, where your wealth matters. Be sure to check out our social media channels for more great content. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be sure to rate the show. We definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to share this episode with someone you care about. Join us on the next episode where we continue to uncover the financial tools, strategies, and the mindsets that maximize your wealth.